Let's open our Bibles tonight to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, starting at the first verse. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in, Je preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, or Cephas, I'm sorry, Cephas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were <coughs> gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has come become the chief cornerstone. Now, uh, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Let's pray. Father, these words are recorded of those early days in Jerusalem when the faith was just getting started when the church was being born. Just a few days before that, there had been 3,000. Now there was 5,000 more being added. The church was growing at a rapid rate. And God, we know it was your spirit. And that same spirit is here in Seneca Falls. That same spirit is here to build a church. 
Jesus said, except I build my church, you labor in vain. Father, these words tonight, I believe you have chosen the text. I believe that the words are significant. I believe that there's something here for each of us. God, would you, through your spirit, make these words come alive? Would you speak to us? Would you anoint this pastor and each of these in the congregation that we might have ears to hear, a heart to receive? For this is a message for all of us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to focus in on that 13th verse. And I was kind of surprised as I went through commentaries and... Uh, I didn't see too many other men that have written sermons on, on this particular text. However, it says here, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Emil said, every life is a, a profession of faith, an exercise, an inevitable and silent influence. There's a story about a man who dreamed that he went to hell. And when he was asked about the incident and asked to give an account of what he saw. They asked him if he saw flames there. They asked him if he saw suffering there. They asked about uh, what kind of wretched uh, creatures that he had to associate with. And he said that all of those things were there. But he said there was something far more worse than having to deal with those wretched creatures. And that was that he had to face his influence. He said, I knew that I uh, deserved punishment, for I had scorned and rejected Jesus Christ. But my sorest pain was to see the effect of my life that it had had on other people. Can you imagine? I think that's one of the worst things that would have to, you'd have to face in hell. The thing that you had rejected Jesus, you had caused other people to stumble and fall and, and uh, some that you loved very dearly you had influenced their lives for evil rather than good. I think all of us should think about the fact of how many people we influence. Have you ever thought about that? Probably as a pastor, I've influenced many people that I really don't even realize. 
But think of yourself now. How many people have you influenced, either for good or for bad? You know, indirectly, we, first of all, have our children to think of. What kind of an influence as parents have you had on your children? And I guess one of the things that's <clears throat> grasped me the, uh, is the fact that I lived 38 years without the Lord Jesus Christ. And during that time, I probably had an influence on my two sons, which neither one are serving the Lord today. Maybe it would have been different had I been serving the Lord the whole time. But we all have an influence. It says they realized that they had been with Jesus. There was just something different about these people. They had been with Jesus. And of course, this is a fulfillment of Acts 1.8, which says that you shall be witnesses unto me after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall have power, and you shall be witnesses unto me. We, uh, we have an opportunity of influencing so many people for Jesus. I want you to note, first of all, that there was a great change that was manifested in these people. It says that they were fishermen. They weren't preachers, they were fishermen. They were uneducated as far as spiritual things. They didn't go to a seminary. They didn't go to Central Bible College. They didn't go to Valley Forge. They didn't go to uh, Zion Bible Institute. These were ordinary men just like you and me. They were Jews. They were men that were once so filled with fear that one of them ran off and, and uh, uh, he was wearing a kind of a sheet around or something there and he, and he ran off with, with, uh, without his clothes. There was another one who denied the Lord three times. What had taken place between the crucifixion and this time when they stand so boldly between the government officials? I mean, this is like, the, like you were standing up in front of the Supreme Court. That's what it would have been like. And they were standing up there before these men who were really somebody in the nation. 
It would be like standing in front of the President of the United States. And they were not afraid. Something had taken place between the time that Peter denied the Lord three times and John went running off without his clothes and now. What was it that had taken so, such a definite change? What had made this change? These ordinary men who were full of fear now were bold. Bold. They were elegant. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And they proclaimed a doctrine that was life-changing. They were ready to suffer persecution if necessary. And it could only be explained one way. The rulers of that nation had, even though they were not believers, they had to admit <laughs> they've been with Jesus. They were chosen by Jesus. They were Jesus' disciples. They were qualified to be witnesses through the gifts that the Spirit was given to them. And it all started the day before as they were on their way up to the temple. They were on their way up there to the temple to pray. And they met a man at the gate beautiful. And they said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And here stood this man in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of the Supreme Court, in front of these elegant uh, officials, and they couldn't deny it. A notable miracle had taken place. Where did the men get these things? And they had to admit, they've been with Jesus. Hallelujah. I want you to also note that a great effect was produced. First of all, by a clear expression of Christian faith. You know, the world is more impressed with contrast than it is with compromise. Go with me to the book of Daniel. Daniel, the third chapter. These were men living in captivity. These were men living in a hostile land. This was not their country. This was not their nation. This was not their home. And we could kind of liken that to the fact that the world is not our home. And I want you to note in that third chapter, starting with verse 16, 
that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had been told that they were either going to bow down and worship this idol when they played all these instruments or they were going to go to the fiery furnace. And I want you to note that these men were bold. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, and he's the king, they said, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from, the, from your hand, O king. But I like verse 18. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. I'm willing to be persecuted rather than to bow down to that old idol. I am going to hold on to my influence, my integrity. I am going to be a witness for Almighty God. I refuse to bow down. And all their friends and neighbors are bowing down. There were many, many other Jews in that nation besides Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But they were going to be made an example of. And they went to the fiery furnace. And sometimes we may have to go to the fiery furnace. But all of a sudden there was something happened in that furnace. There was another in that furnace with them. Like unto the Son of Man. I believe Jesus walks hand in hand with them in that furnace. And no matter what you've got to go through, Jesus is going to be there with you. And that's what these disciples in the book of Acts realized. Jesus was the power. Jesus was with them. And no matter what they said, they were going to continue to witness for Jesus Christ. One of the reasons for the lack of power in the church today, I believe, is there's too many concessions in our desire to promote church growth. We make concessions. God is calling for holiness. God is calling together a dedicated people. Those who won't bend and they won't bow and they won't burn. Those who are so sold out for Jesus Christ that even if they have to die for the faith, so be it. And we don't hear too much about cross-bearing these days. He said, 
except you pick up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. They that will live godly in Christ Jesus will do what? Suffer persecution. And yet we live so relaxed, we don't want to suffer any persecution. We don't want to have people say things about us. We're so afraid of how it's going to be affecting us. We're not going to witness to our brothers and sisters and those are our, our relation because we know that we're going to have to listen to their, their remarks in return. So we give up on them. Instead of going out on the street and witnessing the way we should, instead of being a witness on the job, i got to work with that man. You don't understand. And they're going to they're ridicule me. It's in that contrast of how you are so different from everyone else that is the greatest witness. You'll never win anybody by joining them. Hallelujah. We've got to have a standard of holiness. The church has got to search its own heart. Each one of us need to spend time on our knees before God and realize that when we refuse to pray for someone, that it's a sin. Samuel realized that way back in the Old Testament. He said, I will not sin against God in refusing to sin, uh, pray for you. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it's a sin. We, we're not committing these great sins of going out and murdering, but we're committing these little sins. Wait, well, uh, is there a little sin? You can't really say that, can you? But it's these sins of omission, these sins of not doing. We're so comfortable. God needs to stir us up. He needs to break our hearts. There needs to be crying between the porch and the altar. There needs to be people up here weeping on their faces before God. Spending time looking to God to, to, to break their hearts that they might be filled again and afresh and anew with, with the power of Almighty God. I believe that if we're going to walk the walk or talk the talk, we better walk the walk. We are seeing so little of what God wants done, done. And God is not pleased. Jesus is coming soon. And if we had that same urgency that Jesus had, he said, I must be about my Father's business. See, if we had the same urgency that his business was everything and everything else was secondary, 
but we get it the other way around. Our business is first and he's secondary. And then there was a great effect by a fearless condemnation of evil. Verses 8, verses 8 through 13. Then Peter, and I believe this is the key, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. That's the key to that whole passage. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. And when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you're going to have this kind of boldness. You're going to have this kind of influence. Rulers and people and elders of Israel, if we this day are being judged for, uh, for a good work done to this helpless man, by what means he has been uh, made well, let it be known to you all to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Boy, imagine saying that to him. You crucified him. And let it be known we did it in his name. That's the cornerstone which was rejected, which you rejected, which is the chief cornerstone. Boy, they, they spoke out with boldness. I bet some of those that were sitting on the bench that day thought, well, them belligerent people. Who do they think they are anyway? Talking to us, rulers of the nation that way. Oh, that God's people would get bold like that again. And speak out for what's right. I'm glad for those 7,000 that went, went down to Washington. 700,000, okay, I'm sorry, 700,000. I'm glad for that. Yeah, but I'm glad for that. Because even though they had to suffer the heat, even though they had to go on a long bus ride, they did it because they couldn't do anything else. They are convinced that there is murder going on in the United States and the blood of Jesus Christ is upon us and he has commissioned us to tear down every stronghold. We have to take a stand. We not only should take a stand there, on the other hand, we ought to give solutions. It's not enough to just say, don't do that. You've got to give the solution on the other hand. I believe one of the solutions is chastity in, the, in our people. People living by the rules that Jesus, uh, the, that God has set down in his law. You don't have sex outside of marriage. You don't have sex outside of your, your partnership. In marriage. And we need to speak out to our, our nation. Hey, I don't, I don't like those ads that are on the television. 
It's not going to stop AIDS anyway. And handing these things out to kids is ridiculous. We need to stand up and be counted. We need to have a voice for Jesus Christ that's crying. Why don't we? It's either that we're afraid or we're not interested. And those that do make a mistake, we ought to be out there to help them. We've got to have some, some children's homes and some of these places where these unwed mothers can go. There's going to be mistakes. How many have never fallen into sin since they accepted Jesus? So they're going to make mistakes. In a moment of weakness, they'll make mistakes. But that doesn't condone it. That's not the way it should go. But we can lead them to Jesus Christ. We can lead them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We can give them the help that they need. It was when they saw, look at that verse. Now when they saw, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, not when they heard about it, when they saw these men were bold. That's, you know, action speaks a lot louder than words. Sometimes by just taking a stand, these men were not afraid. They told it like it was. They didn't try to candy coat it. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 16.13 Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quiet you like men. Be strong. Turn with me to Jude. Turn over to Jude. That's just before Revelation. Verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Mark it. Do something with it. Memorize it. Because that is what God is calling us to do. Contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It didn't start yesterday. It started there in Jerusalem. Peter and John could have said, ah, okay, we won't preach anymore. We're sorry. Contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. We talk about boxing matches or 
uh, the Walter weight contender or the high, a heavyweight contender. That means he's fighting to keep that position. We are to contend for the faith. We're, we're at war. How, do you, how many of you know that this faith is not something that's going to go on unless people fight to keep the faith? We have a responsibility. If God tarries, we have a responsibility to the next generation. This was delivered to the saints and we're to, we're to live by it, we're to uphold it, we're to fight for it, we're to, we're, we're to die for it if necessary. Contend for the faith. We sing that song, God's got an army marching through the land. And we, we march around joyously. And that's great. I, there's nothing wrong with a Jericho march. But I'd like to see the same enthusiasm with people on their face before God saying, we will not be moved. God's put together an army. And he will equip us. He will give us what we need. We will be victorious. Hallelujah. You know, weak Christians make for a weak church. I, I don't read about the weak church in here. Why is that? I read only about a victorious church. Could it be the church that I'm seeing is not the church that God sees? There was a great effect that was made by spirit-filled men. Spirit-filled men. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, Unlearned, ignorant men can render incalculable service to the cause of Christ. It's not... We used to have Brother Roby used to say, it, it, you haven't yet seen, we haven't yet seen what God can do. He said it's as easy to save 10,000 as it is one with God. He can save 10,000 just as easily as he can save one. Why not, why not believe for it? Why not pray for it? Why do we limit God? God wants to do so much and we want to do so little. You know, there's people that would like to stop church, church growth because they want to keep a nice little fellowship. They don't want the problems that comes with church growth. And there will be problems. You may lose more than just the skin off your knees or off your shins. But Jesus being glorified, isn't that, isn't that worth it all? 
Anything that we have to do, isn't it worth it? Hallelujah. Praise God. No one of the rulers and the leaders marveled. I want to tell you something. If you're led by the Spirit of God, people are going to begin to marvel at your life. Where did that man get those things? Where did that woman come up with those things? Where did the power come from? What is this charisma she has? What is it that's drawing people to them? They don't understand. But it comes from spending time with Jesus. I, I believe that's the key to it all. They had been with Jesus. That's why they were bold. That's why they said words that no one could could uh, refute they had been with Jesus hallelujah there's no other way that these things could have happened last of all I see a great lesson taught here first of all to the apostles themselves they were taught the power of faith just believe and, and act on it. They were taught the protecting presence of Almighty God. They were taught to become suffering servants. In fact, when they were beaten, they gave glory that they were counted worthy to have such things done to them for Jesus' name. Isn't that something? And then there's a lesson here for the church. I believe the church is taught the strength of the Holy Spirit in a person's life how it can revolutionize the power that can be given to a person Paul who was once a persecutor of the church read his life again what a powerful powerful witness for Jesus Christ once he was filled with the Holy Spirit once he was converted on that road to Damascus. Something happened. Paul died and there came, or Saul died and Paul came into being. Nothing stopped him. Nothing. And I believe the other lessons the church is learning is, from this is the importance of our actions. It's important whether you stand up for Jesus or not. It's important. 
In summary, I'd just like to ask a few questions. I, I'm good at asking questions, not too good at giving answers, but I, I get pretty good at asking questions sometimes. Let me ask you, can people tell that you've been with Jesus by just looking at you? If they followed you around all day, would they just realize this, this person's been with Jesus? There's something different there. Not like other people. Things that should make them mad, they just kind of smile at it. Things that should make them hopeless, they just pray about it. What kind of influence are you making? Peter and John had a lot of influence on, on those people that they were talking to. What kind of influence have you got? Are you influencing your generation for Jesus? You're the minority when it comes to this job because there's not too many that's pushing you aside for it. They're not storming our doors trying to get in here. What kind of an influence are you having on your children? Some of you got some very young children. What kind of an influence are you? Some of you got teenagers. What kind of an influence are you? What kind of an influence are you having on your neighbors? On those uh, on the job. On your friends, your neighbors. I'm going to ask this last question. Are you spending enough time with Jesus? It's 7.30 and we could just run out of here. Or we can come up here and spend some time with Jesus. Get so pumped up here tonight by just spending time in his presence. And when we hit hit the sidewalk tomorrow, we'll be equal to the job, equal to the task, no matter what that task might be. You know, we go out of here and we say, boy, we had a good service last Sunday night, and we did. But we could have just as good a service tonight without a, a lot of Excitement, it could be a service where people are crying for God. People who are crying over our world situation. People who are asking for more power in their lives. People who are spending time on their faces up here before God. And to me, that would be a more marvelous service than, than the, some of the excitement, some of the... Uh, I, I like both. But I'm going to invite you right now to come up and spend some time around the altar. Hallelujah. Will you come? Hallelujah.